electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just entertain, but to educate and teach. Call me. 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Cramer. All right, I've been thinking. I've been thinking like this. Maybe every stock, every stock just got too expensive. Maybe everything was simply too high and had to come down to more reasonable levels. Well, that's certainly how it feels after still one more bad day, where the Dow lost 229 points, S&P dropped 1.15%, and the Nasdaq plunged 1.87%. Getting used to that yet? We're seeing all sorts of stocks lose gobs and gobs and gobs of points. And it's often happening for no apparent reason. Sure, we've had shortfalls this earnings season and tons of de facto guidance cuts. Where you beat the numbers for the quarter, but don't raise your full year forecast. However, the treacherous thing about this market is that if you see even one stock coming down hard in a particular sector, you know the rest of them are going to implode, too, perhaps coming down even harder than the original culprit. Of course, many of the problems relate to individual companies. Both Microsoft and Alphabet are classic examples. They're reported after the close. Both reported what look to be very good numbers, but not good enough numbers, but maybe good enough because of a weak dollar or maybe not. If they had a weak dollar, maybe they'd be better. Strong dollar, no. Yes, it is that confusing. You can't even get a read when the stock's right in your face. And that does cause you to pull back itself. For 45 minutes, I looked at these. I, you, no one knows if they're good. I swear to God, the companies don't even know. But sometimes it is real clear, and everybody knows. Like with the stock of America's largest retailer, Walmart. It pre-announced a huge disappointment last night. I mean, one of the worst I have ever seen. And weighed heavily on the tape all day, bringing down the entire retail cohort, if not a huge part of the market. That's easy because they're all in the same ETFs. We had layoffs at Shopify because they misjudged e-commerce's growth, just like Amazon crushing anything that even looks like an e-commerce stock. But for the most part, the earnings today were actually solid. 
That's what's really confused me. McDonald's. McDonald's reported such a great number. Oh, much better than expected. I was puzzled surprised at how General Electric's doing in aerospace. Also, healthcare, even power. I loved how 3M announced a giant spin off its healthcare, taking, taking its healthcare division out. Very clever plan to cordon off some liabilities stemming from allegedly faulty earplugs for service members. NXP Semi, the chip maker with heavy auto exposure, delivered a strong beat and raise. Yes! Still, all of this good news just wasn't enough to lift the averages because there were just too many negatives and stocks may just be too darn high. The analysts played a role in today's fiasco. A brutal downgrade of the once-invincible cybersecurity company, Zscaler, crushed that whole cohort, which had been one of the strongest even during the downturn. It hurt competitors like CrowdStrike and Kramer Fave Palo Alto Networks. But what I think did this market in was the same thing it's done in Info almost the entire year. Persistent inflation coupled with a Federal Reserve that can't seem to win no matter what it does, not to mention instability in Europe, thanks to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the weakness of China caused by the lockdowns, and the immensely strong dollar. No matter what we do, we can't escape the tentacles of these issues. And by the way, that includes the confusing Microsoft and Alphabet quarters tonight. I found myself thinking with Alphabet, well, hey, you know what? At least it isn't Snap. Low bar. Perhaps we can get some bad news as good news relief tomorrow when the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates again. Still, Uh, While we've had some relief rallies over the years when the Fed tightens and then tends to, uh, let's say, we're done for a while. But I don't know if they're going to do that yet. We're not that far along in the rate cycle. Yeah, I'm sure the Fed is betwixt and between themselves about how much what to do, given so much is going on. So I'm going to put you in the dilemma. Let's go through the dilemma of what Jay Powell must be thinking, because it really makes sense why even he would be confused. I want you to think of uh, last Friday. On Friday, American Express, which everybody knows, great credit card company, reported about the best quarter I can remember. There's tremendous spending going on, travel, going out, restaurants. It's so far above 2019, it's insane. There seems to be no stopping people from going all over the place, especially young people who are using credit cards in incredible numbers. But then today, Walmart stock got crushed because the consumer apparently doesn't have much money to to buy groceries and then buy clothes. Now that there's no more stimulus, Walmart seems astonished by the lack of spending. They think the consumer's tapped out because of inflation. So on the one hand, you have a consumer who's crippled by the endless rise in food prices and the formerly rising price of gasoline, so crippled that all these dresses, pants, and sneakers languish on the shelves. On the other hand, the consumer will pay anything to go out and have the time of their life in any country, especially because the dollar's so strong. It's easy for Jay Powell to say that American Express and Walmart are talking about two different consumers, regular people who tapped out because of inflation, and the wealthy who are spending their darn fool heads off. He, he wants to slight the wealthy, right, not the working person. But there's got to be some overlap, so that makes no sense. If you're Jay Powell, you want the economy to slow down to the point where there are enough people to fill jobs at Raytheon Tech, 5,000 engineers needed after a good quarter, without raising wages too aggressively, but without a ton of excess unemployment either. What a needle to thread. Who could be that good? Plus, you know, we know that 45 million people switched jobs in the last year, mostly for better pay. But then again, who cares if the better pay is only up 4% when the entire cost of living is up 9%? Think about these things. Think if you had his job. So what does Powell do here? 
Does he say that the glut of goods at Walmart should lower the price of clothes, meaning he's winning the war against inflation? He might not need to tighten as aggressively going forward. Or does he say food and gasoline are too high, so he's going to slam the brakes in the economy, create more gluts that will push prices lower and hope that food comes down with that? Nobody knows. And when nobody knows, the Wall Street playbook says, sell, 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 especially ahead of a Fed meeting. Sell, sell, sell. Now, here's where it really gets difficult. It isn't difficult already. We're in the toughest earnings week of the year. We know it only takes one misstep at a single company to bring down every other stock in the sector. Everything is guilty until proven innocent. Plus, the whole market feels too high if the Fed's going to have to keep hitting us with these series of these big rate hikes to catch up with inflation. That means we simply don't know what anything's worth. We have too many things going wrong to be able to make a judgment, which gets us back to Ukraine and China. If we had an end of the war, then we'd know that things would get better in Europe. Russia just needs to declare victory and move on. That'd be extremely rational. But each day, a rational outcome there seems less likely. As for China, we keep thinking the Communist Party will come to its senses and start using the good mRNA vaccines. But it seems to have no interest in using anything that isn't homegrown. So let's put it all together. You have an uncertain Fed, an uncertain Europe, an uncertain China, an uncertain America, with rates going up, not down. All told, these things tell me that the stock market in its entirety is still too high. So we have to let the averages come in before putting more money to work. But it might be worth doing so because there's so many good things that can only happen. Can individual companies save the day? Well, Alphabet, the parent of Google, just reported worse than expected, but better than fear quarter after the close. The stock still rallied in after hours trading because it had already come down so dramatically from its highs. The lesson, at least for Alphabet, the bar had been lowered to the point where this was good enough. Not a great reason to buy, but perhaps a reason not to sell. Microsoft isn't holding up as well. Their cloud business is weaker than expected, and their gaming business gets getting slammed. Then again, the fact that it wasn't down more tells you that this was already priced in, too. Again, the dollar's playing havoc with both companies, so it's hard to figure out how they're really doing. And we do have some genuine upside surprises. Look at Chipotle roaring in the wake of a fantastic quarter, thanks in large part to their ability to raise prices because their food's so good. Then again, that's not what you want to see if you're hoping the Fed can win its war inflation without cratering the whole economy. But the bottom line in this exhausting tape, it's a tough moment because the situation is so darn confused by the dollar, by the Russo-Ukraine war, by the Chinese lockdown, rising short rates, retreating long rates, a sure sign of recession. And we won't have any real insight where this market's headed until tomorrow afternoon, when maybe we'll get some clarity from the Fed. It's just a tough moment for everyone, from the Fed to the trading desk to you. And it doesn't seem like to be the time to be, let's say, heroic. Lane in New York, Lane. Jimmy Bailey, big Boston Red Sox. Booyah to you, big Jimmy Daddy. I, I don't think it can get better than that, except for maybe big has got to do with you know, the wrong part of your. Well, no, I don't want to get too deep in that. Go ahead, Lane. What's up? All right. What would be better for my portfolio? Me keeping Home Depot or going with a company like Tractor Supply? I work for both companies. Both have a good yield. What, what, what do you think I should do, Big Daddy Kramer? Oh, boy. Well, you know, I pulled up with Hal Lawton last week, and I don't know if you caught that interview from, from what he's doing at Tractor Supply, uh, but I think that they're terrific. It really is. And there, at least we know how they're doing. We don't have to sweat the program like we have to do with Home Depot right now, Lane. Uh, Tractor Supply would be the one for me, simply because I don't know how Home Depot is really doing. Right. This is a confusing moment, everybody. 
and we won't have any real insight into where this market's headed until tomorrow. Maybe we'll get some clarity then. No heroics, please. On Man Money tonight, I'm getting the real deal on steel with the top brass of steel maker Nucor. Then Logitech reported a disappointing quarter. But just like the rest of this tape, the stock managed to rally. I'm digging deeper into the quarter and what drove the action with the company CEO. Plus, is the strong dollar actually hurting companies this early season? I'm taking a closer look at foreign exchange headwinds like those we have never seen and how they might be impacting bottom lines. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's now been several months since Wall Street turned against the cyclical smokestack stocks, betting they'd be crushed by a Fed-mandated slowdown. These stocks have been slammed because they're expected to be doing poorly in the future. Even as many industrials are doing great right now. Look at Nucor, America's best-run steelmaker, not America's best-run manufacturer, with a stock that plunged from around $188 in late April to $100 at slows earlier this month. Now, last week, though, Nucor reported a magnificent quarter. Literally their best numbers ever. And that allowed the stock to rebound to 123. Even here, though, it's still only selling for four times earnings because the analysts expect those earnings to collapse in the not-too-distant future. 
But if we only end up having a mild recession, then the thing is just ridiculously cheap and you're going to have to go buy it. Earlier today, I got a chance to speak with Leon Topalia. He's the president and CEO of Nucor. When he stopped in after ringing the bell to celebrate the 50th anniversary listing <laughs> on the New York Stock Exchange, it was a tour de force interview. Take a look. Leon, this was an amazing quarter, and I think what makes it just shocking is that the analysts expected nothing like this, and they even still ask you, how can you be so optimistic? Yes. And obviously, you're optimistic because your team's great and your numbers are great. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me today. It's an amazing day and being listed for 50 straight years yes. on the stock exchange. Congratulations. But you're right. The analysts keep getting it wrong, and I think there's a few things. One is the history of the old history of this industry is still captivating and it's still um, they're not viewing us in the opportunities for value creation that we bring to the market today. And then secondly, is when we look at our beat, you know, at nine dollars and sixty seven cents per diluted share of earnings, um, it is a industrial company that we are continuing to grow in spaces that are and offer more resiliency from the traditional steelmaking lane that we've been a part of for so long. But we're, um, we're optimistic, Jim, because we have an amazing customer base, and we're optimistic because our order book is as strong as it's ever been, and that's where the results are coming from. Right. And, and what's funny, I spoke with you last year, analysts are expecting you to earn $9 for the year, and you did it in a quarter. And once again, just an example of how well you think things through about where the puck is going, not right where the other guys think it still Bingo. is. Bingo. And, and I think as we look at the indicator lights out there, I think too many are looking at the headlines instead of our balance sheet. They're yes. reading the headlines and not the income statement, the cash flow statements. You know, we've generated nearly $5 billion of cash from operations through the first half of the year. It's unbelievable. And again, the the um, rest of the year, we expect to be a record year. It's um, it's incredible what our team has been a- able to do and execute on. So many companies have chosen not to expand because they think that there's nothing out there. You keep putting up mills that are in such high demand that it seems like from the moment they start, you have got a full order book for the kind of steel that you're making. How do you know what's the right kind of steel? And how do you know that there'll be such demand? You know, it's a, it's a great question, and our team does an amazing job. But our strategy is very clear. It's to grow in our core, expand beyond the traditional steelmaking lanes, and live their culture, which is really all about the safety, health, and well-being of our team. But, Jim, in that core area that you talk about, it's not about capacity. I don't care about being the biggest. What? We want to be the most capable and diverse steelmaker on the planet, and that's what we're doing. And so in the West Virginia mill, for example, um, the automotive sector is really hungry to get that right. mill operating in, in producing the exposed panels that they need for today with the cleanest steel anywhere in the world. So that is a unique opportunity. Brandenburg, as we've talked about many times, will be the only mill in the Western Hemisphere to be able to produce the offshore wind needs for the offshore wind market. That's going to be so exciting. Absolutely. I mean, now, we, I remember when Bethlehem Steel made the steel for Verrazano and then they closed. I mean, the size, how are you going to have the size that you need just to make those windmills. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. It must and be I massive, can, right? Yeah, it's massive. I can't wait to bring you there and uh, and I your can't team. Wait to go. It's 168 inches wide. 
and up to 14 inches thick. It is <laughs> massive. And so, again, there will be very few competitors in the world that can produce the types of grades and, and quality that Nucor will be able to produce. Now, it is interesting that the skeptics, again, are out about the tower and structures. They're saying, look, they're going too downstream. They don't know what they're doing. They bought this garage door place. They're over their heads. Once again, you're going to prove the skeptics wrong. Aren't you? Yeah, they're, the, the business model of CHI you're referring to and the overhead door space, it's the new core of overhead doors. It is the upstart, and they are flipping the market on its head. It's grown at Kager 10% year over year for the last 20 years. They're returning 90% of their revenue to the bottom line. It is an amazing, amazing team, amazingly well-run company. And again, for the pundits, um, it's a steel-centric business. It couples and fits with Nucor's excellence in manufacturing. And uh, I can't wait for the years to, to come because they're going to be the best, most efficient, and most profitable overhead door company in the world. Right. Now, it is good, I think, for those of us who agree that tariffs allow American companies to thrive, that you have not raised the price of steel by building all these places. You've actually kept things uh, at, at even keel. It is great, correct, that they that all these countries that you list in the, in the conference call are not able to just come in, dump the steel, and make it so we can't build what we need. Absolutely. We, you know, I'm going to continue to be a tireless advocate, as were my predecessors before me. Um, we have got to create a fair and level playing field in this country. When you have countries that illegally dump and subsidize their steel, the reason we continue to win trade cases, Jim, is because they're doing it a horrific fashion and they are destroying industry after industry and again as the largest um steel maker in the western hemisphere we're going to continue to advocate for our industry very uh very strongly now uh when i look at the numbers i look at the cash flow occasionally i expect maybe a special dividend you've done it before any chance or the opportunities are great to expand that maybe that's the right thing to do you know look we we have um got a very purposeful capital allocation right. strategy. It is to return minimum of 40% back to our shareholders. Our five-year average is over 50%. Right. We're going to continue to take great care of those shareholders. But our number one priority is that organic growth. We're going to continue to grow, and we're going to stay with a investment-grade credit rating. We're going to take great care of our shareholders, and um, but we're going to grow, Jim. We're going to grow in ways that... Um, um, few have expected us to grow. And again, you mentioned the industrial door or overhead door company. Several of the analysts pulled in other analysts in the industrials because Nucor has got to be viewed differently than a three or four X company. We yes. ought to be trading in the nine, 10, 12 times range. And again, our through cycle returns are going to prove that. Well, I just think you've done a remarkable job, as should your predecessors ever since Mr. Iverson. It's been a remarkable company. It is not the same as the other guys. Yes. Great balance sheet, great growth, consistent management. Congratulations, sir. Leon Topalian. And Leon is the president and CEO of Nucor, and the symbol is NUE, and we have been champions of it. I've been a champion of it since 1982, but there's 50 years now. Congratulations Thank on so 50 much. years. Thank That's so fabulous. Stay with Kramer. Coming up. Do the fortunes of these big American companies hinge on overseas performance? Kramer's spanning the globe for Intel, next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Let's talk about currency. So far, the big story of this earnings season is that the strong dollar is crushing all sorts of American companies that do lots of business overseas. We normally don't care about foreign exchange, but the dollar's gotten so high versus other currencies that it's now become impossible to ignore. When you do lots of business in the rest of the world, you never want a strong currency because it means you're translating more euros into fewer greenbacks. Unfortunately, that's exactly the situation right now. And it comes on top of an imminent Fed tightening. Chinese lockdowns, European paralysis over the war in Ukraine. We started hearing about foreign exchange blows last earnings season when Salesforce reported a good quarter in late May, but lowered its full-year sales forecast, blaming exchange rate fluctuations. Two days later, Microsoft cut its quarterly guidance, citing the same issue, and based on tonight's support, they might not have cut it enough. Currency is inherently confusing. Fast forward to last week, and numerous blue chips have been brought down by the dollar. Last Monday, IBM reported a good quarter with 9% growth, which looked great, except that they would have had a 16% growth if it weren't for currency headwinds. The next morning, Johnson Johnson put up some healthy numbers, yet cut its full-year forecast, citing the strong dollar. Just today, Kramer Fave Coca-Cola put up an excellent quarter, 16% organic growth, yet they also had a 6% currency headwind and talked about a 7 to 8% currency hit in the third quarter. Coke still rallied, but it would have been up a lot more if the dollar had been weaker. Well, not everyone's getting punished for the currency problem. Microsoft and IBM got hit, but Coke and J&J still rallied. That said, the dollar is now casting a shadow on even the best results from our big international companies. It's something we need to take into consideration because these currency hits are enormous. Wall Street could ask for this stuff only so much when we're talking about a 4 or 5% hit. But when Coca-Cola is talking about 8%, that's a lot of money. So we need to take this into a consideration when we're picking stocks. American companies with lots of international exposure now have an additional risk that we're not used to, especially because of a general unwillingness to hedge against the dollar, something that is beyond me at this point, frankly, given that everybody saw this coming. Thankfully, David Costin and his team at Goldman Sachs put out a report this weekend analyzing the entire S&P 500 for foreign exchange exposure. I want to walk you through it because this is just one tremendous piece of research. First, though, let's understand how we got here. When you look at the dollar index, which measures the greenback against a basket of foreign currencies, well, let's just say it's been roaring higher for about a year and a half. This is some chart, huh? From January 6th of last year through today, the dollar index is is up 20 percent. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. It is just stunning. This is a stunning rally. And we're talking about first world currencies here. Most of this move has come in the last year. I mean, you can just see right here. It's just been boom, 
a dollar next up nearly 12% for this one period right here. Um, earlier this month, it hit a 20-year high. The dollar is insanely strong here. In particular, look at the euro to dollar exchange rate over the past couple of years. Early last year, one euro was worth $1.23. Now they're basically at parity, also for the first time since 2002. This is a currency. This currency is in decline, serious decline. That, that matters because Europe is a gigantic market for American companies. And also European companies tend to be our closest competitors when it comes to exporting stuff to the rest of the world. So the cheap euro gives them an edge. And believe me, they know that. So how do we adjust? Let's circle back to that terrific report from Goldman Sachs. According to David Costin and his team, the companies in the S&P 500 collectively get 71% of their sales from the U.S. When you run the numbers, every 10% increase in the dollar translates into a 2 to 3% earnings hit for the S&P as a whole. Basically, the strong dollar has caused a more than 2% earnings haircut for the index just since the beginning of the year. Remember, a lot of these analysts like to look at this top-down number and say, hey, you got to sell the S&P because it's going lower. This is driving the S&P lower. I want you to just, just get this. Listen to this. Quote, periods of dollar strength have historically coincided with disappointing sales results for S&P 500 companies, suggesting that analysts consistently fail to account for large currency moves, end quote. They're especially worried about companies with lots of China or Europe exposure. And you know what? I have to agree. So who are the biggest victims? Goldman calls out the information technology and material sectors, both of which get half or of more or more of their sales from overseas. For information technology, it's 59%. Specifically, they call it a number of dollar victims. you got companies like Philip Morris International, 100% overseas by design. Las Vegas Sands, which is now a mostly a Macau play after deciding to pull to sell its Vegas properties last year. Goldman calls out Newmont Mine. That's a terrible gold miner. 99% overseas exposure. Awful quarter yesterday. Semiconductor companies, also big victims, mostly sell into Asia, where most electronics are assembled. Then there are some companies I like very much. Booking Holdings, online travel agent, known, formerly known as Priceline, 90%, nearly 90% international. Estee Lauder is one of my absolute favorites. Sold it much higher for the trust. Was looking to buy it, as people in the club know. It's 80% international. Slumberjay, oil service kingpin, 85% overseas. Why we prefer Halliburton for the travel trust, and I think you should buy it. Lots of explanations if you subscribe to the club. Otis Worldwide, elevator company, very well-run business, but 75% international, ton of China exposure, although a lot of that's an annuity. Watersport, Agilent, both really good companies that I've talked about, 70% international exposure, suboptimal. Then there's Caterpillar and Exxon, both at 62%. Equinix, the data center REIT, 61%. And then a meta and Alphabet are both in the 50 to 60 percent range. Imagine what kind of numbers they could put on if it weren't for the dollar. Agco, farm equipment maker, 54 percent of sales from Europe. Ugly. I'm not necessarily saying you should give up on anything that gets more than half of its sales from overseas. But you need to brace yourself for potential revenue shortfalls thanks to that strong dollar, as we did at this very night when it came to Alphabet and Microsoft. Of course, there are tons of companies that only do business in the U.S. where currency is not a problem. If anything, they benefit from the strong dollar because it makes their imports cheaper. Goldman calls that out a bunch of them, and they're all pretty good, but they are complicated, too. Dollar generals, all Americans, should benefit from the slowing economy as consumers trade down to cheaper stuff. Stock's up nearly 9% since I got behind it in March. I think it's got more upside, especially after today's retail pullback related to Walmart. Chipotle, yes, a domestic chain. And while stock has been stuck in a rut for the past year, it's still a great long-term story. You know I feel that way. It just reported total barn burner tonight. 
Amazing quarter. Goldman highlights Devon Energy and Pioneer Natural Resources, two oils that we own for the trust, uh, thanks to their massive dividends. Full disclosure, we trimmed some Devon today, just in part to reorganize our oil holdings. No big deal. A number of healthcare names made their list. Kramer, Fave, Centene. You know I like those guys. Humana, which owns we own for the trust, they report tomorrow. They like CVS, too. And while the retail side is struggling here, at least you don't have to worry about currency fluctuations. Last but not least, T-Mobile and Verizon, both domestic operators. And while Verizon reported a not good quarter at all last week, I think it's maybe too cheap to ignore down here at 5.7% yield. They got to get it together. T-Mobile is the cell phone stock you want to own, but again, it reports tomorrow. Now, just because the dollar's strong now doesn't mean it will stay strong. A couple weeks ago, Carly Garner, one of our favorite technicians, pointed out that the greenback may have already peaked. She expects a big swing in the other direction. That'd be incredibly bullish. But how can the dollar go down against the euro without an end to the war? It would be quite a surprise. The bottom line, though, for now, you need to be aware of these foreign exchange headwinds like never before in my entire career. Because American companies with tons of international exposure will keep taking it on the chin this earnings season. And the hits are now simply too big to asterisk or ignore. Let's go to Ron in New York. Ron. Hey, Jim. Given the run-up Shopify had into the 1700s, then declining into the 290s, and then with the split hovering in the $30 range, and with today's news, what is your take on this company moving forward? And are are you comfortable buying at these levels? Thank you. Um, I need to hear more from the company. I was very disturbed by the release today. Very disturbed. Uh, the laying off people, they obviously got it wrong. At least they were very self-effacing about getting it wrong, making us recognize, you know what, we, they misjudged and they thought that e-commerce would continue to grow faster. But the fact is they got it wrong. And until I know more, I've got to tell you, I can't pull the trigger. All right, American companies with tons of international exposure will keep taking on the chin this earnings season. And the hits now are simply too big to ignore. Now, there's much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the CEO of Logitech. This COVID-era winner spent the, the past year suffering from a post-COVID hangover. But is relief in sight as the stock adjusts to a new reality? I'm checking in with the CEO. And Walmart slashed its profit outlook yesterday and its shares plunged. I'm helping you figure out what made it happen. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. How will you know when this market's bottomed? One tell is that stocks start bouncing on bad news, something we've seen surprisingly often this earnings season. Take Logitech International, the maker of computer accessories and other electronics. This company made a killing during the darkest days of the pandemic, but it spent the last year suffering from a serious post-COVID hangover. Now, though, the stock seems to have adjusted. I say that because last night Logitech reported what I have to tell you was a genuinely disappointing quarter. Top and bottom line miss. Earnings down 39%, and year-over-year, management also cut their full-year guidance for the second time since they issued their forecast in March. But after opening lower, the stock actually managed to rally today. Why? Well, maybe it's because the stock is so darn cheap. It's already come down from 140 last June to 53 yesterday. Coming into the quarter, Logitech was selling less than 12 times earnings, despite having a nearly 2% yield and a monster buyback. With the expectation bar set so low, Wall Street could focus on the positives like that massive buyback that I mentioned. And they were going to try to retire 9% of the share count. And they also had some encouraging comments about the semiconductor shortage. So, with that in mind, what we have to do 
is we have to talk to Bracken Darrell himself, the straight shooting president and CEO of Logitech International, to get a better read on the quarter and the future. Mr. Darrell, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. Okay, so um, we kind of set the scene as that maybe this is as bad as it gets and you have to start buying the stock. But I also think there's some other things at work. Enterprise seemed very good. Video collaboration seemed good. But, you know, when you cut numbers and cut numbers, it, I, I do search for a catalyst why this is the level to buy Logitech other than the fact that it didn't go down on a, on a disappointing quarter. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think you know, you and I have been talking for a while. So we've got three or four big things we're focused on. As you know, over the last couple of years, we've grown a tremendous amount during the pandemic and then after the pandemic started to fade. Right now, you've got the summer. I don't know about if you can remember what you were doing last summer at this time, but I can't because I didn't do anything. I think everybody's doing stuff this summer. So this is a, this is a period when people are out. Our gaming business was down, but I don't think that's terribly surprising. You know, no people just aren't home thinking about doing that kind of stuff. I think when people come back in the fall, um, you know, and, and they're really getting back to work and getting back at it, and they've, they've spent their money on the big vacation, I think we'll see ourselves come back over time. And, and, uh, and I'm very optimistic about the secular trends. We have great long-term fundamentals, as you know, good, strong gross margin. We have, you know, four, four big secular trends, including video going everywhere, hybrid work, the continued rise of gaming and, the, and streaming, streaming and creating becoming uh, really one of the biggest jobs in the economy. And we're right in the middle of all those. So it will come back. OK, um, you did signal that uh, gaming revenue has come down and yet gaming is still strong globally. So I'm trying to figure out exactly where gaming is in its own cycle. Xbox tonight uh, down. OK, but down uh, mid single digits. Nothing really terrible. Take two had a great quarter. EA had a great quarter. So I'm trying to figure out where this gaming weakness theory comes from. Well, I think for us, you know, we remember we're up uh, 75% since the, since over two years. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people went out and they bought their, their new stuff. We've also probably picked up, especially in headsets, some people who bought headsets that weren't necessarily for gaming, but they wanted the good boom microphone so that they could do their Zoom calls. So the, the headset business is particularly down. But I think it's, you know, you've got this summer effect where, you know, while people are still, um, you know, some people are, are going to come back into the gaming phenomenon, but they're just physically not sitting at their desk at home play, playing games as much. And it doesn't take much to, to have a negative number versus a positive one. Okay. Now, in your conference call, you mentioned that your sales teams, especially your enterprise teams, look like they're going to be doing some pretty good things, improve the go-to-market in the fall. Will you be going to, to companies that do video? I still see, I have to tell you, Bracken, I still see people come on our air with pictures that are so awful, and, and they work at major institutions. And I keep thinking, these are your core cas- customers, but they're not being called on. Will that change? Yeah, we've had, so, you know, for a year, for, for four years, we really focused on selling conference rooms. And that was really our, our steady center of the plate focus for our, our new enterprise sales team. Now we've expanded that and they're selling webcams, they're selling mice, they're selling keyboards. It's just begun. I think we'll be able to exploit that pretty well. Okay, um, what are we doing in terms of this share repurchase? I mean, some could argue that you're being so aggressive that you must have uh, be so bullish about the fall that this is just two-handed buying. I haven't seen you, Bracken, buy this amount of stock before. 
Yeah, we've been pretty steady over the last few quarters on how much we're buying. You know, we, we do think that um, it's a good use of our cash. Our stock, as you said, is down. At, I think we're at a really attractive price point. And we have lots of cash available. Now, we also have other options. So we're looking very hard all the time at M&A. We've got, we have bought a few small things over the last, you know, uh, nine months, and we'll keep looking. And you know, as you know, valuations are down, so we're gonna, we're going to stay in the market. Uh, I like I like our position right now, for and and with the cash, we're going to make sure we use it wisely. Now, uh, last question: you Usually, have something new, something that nobody else has. I mean, I loved in the call by the way where you said, "Listen, I can keep making these speakers, but nobody wants them." But give me something that I need right now while I'm at the pool, or in the fall when I'm at the game. Give me something. I give me something for fantasy football. Okay, we've got we've got something very very cool. We just announced, uh, I think today or yesterday, a, a, a product called UE Drops, Ultimate Ears Drops. They're true wireless earphones, totally custom made. They have a very very high end driver, like the the monitors that a stage performer would have, like Alicia Keys or Justin Timberlake. And we've just launched them. They're they're pretty pricey, but they are dynamite. For they're 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 available right now. UE Drops. You, you can buy them for, for now, for the summer. You can buy them for Christmas. All right. I think I'm going to go. I'll go to Amazon today. Then I'll go. I'll find another site that has them. Bracken Darrell, president and CEO of Logitech International, LOGI. Not a great quarter, but a good stock on a bad day. Mad Money's back after the break. Thank you. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, tell the lightning comes with with Thomas in Texas. Thomas. Booyah, and Gigum from Houston. I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on one of the offshore drillers, uh, Diamond Offshore. Okay, I would prefer a service stock like Halliburton to $28. If you remember the club, you know exactly why we like this. It's incredibly cheap. We had the CEO on last week. Let's go to Frank in Florida. Frank. Hey, booyah, Jim. Thanks for booyah. taking my call. Hey, I'm a club member. Thanks to, uh, thanks to you, Jeff, yes. and the entire team on the hard work you guys do. Oh, thank you so much. I think the club rocks. How can I help? Listen, I got a question on a large pharma company that just spun off its consumer health care division to focus on the prescription side, including vaccines and major diseases. They also paid a great dividend. What's your perspective right. on Glaxo Smith No, you're a club member, so you know I favor Johnson and Johnson, splitting into two groups, two companies. Great balance sheet. What's not to like? Great management. And I'm going to Kenny in Maryland. Kenny. Hey Jim, I'd like your thoughts on Tilray. My thoughts on Tilray. Well, those will cost you about three bucks, which is the co- the price of the stock. But if you wait long enough, you'll only cost you two bucks. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, Richard in New York. Richard. Jimmy Till, thank you for taking my call. Chill's for- been talking a lot. A lot of nice talk lately to the mentioners because they're so sweet. Uh, I would love my mother to be alive so they can see, see some of the things they write about her son, Jimmy. What's up? And he deserves it. He deserves it, sir. Listen, my stock I'm calling about today is something I've acquired to go long for some time now. 
and it's been going all downhill since last October. Uh, there's since an insider trading by a CFO as well. Do I hang on Let's to this long sell, whatever, APO? IPO, you know what? Doesn't give me the yield that I want. Don't really know what it owns. Look, I have to go that way. Let's go to Blackstone because, boy, I thought they were very compelling on TV and nobody cared. We're not done yet. We're not done. We're going to Ruben in California. Ruben! Mr. Kramer. Big yes, Fox Ruben. Guy here. I'm a big Fox right. guy here. You're the only, you're the reason I'm, I, I tune into CNBC. I love your enthusiasm. Oh, thank you, man. And you make me feel, and you make me feel like there's hope. That Thank being said, you. and there is. I've been long on, uh, yeah, I've been long on Hertz since June of 2020. Uh, then you want to stay long Hertz because they got a terrific CEO and Steve Sher. It's a very expensive stock. I'm backing with Sher, not against Sher. He's too mean to bank against. What can I do? Not everybody's nice, but some guys are money makers. Let's go to Derek in Delaware. Derek, what's going on, Jim? Thanks for taking my call, man. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about going down there, doing some trading. What's going on with you? I like it, man. Well, let me know when you're out here. Uh, my question is on LNG, Chenier Energy. Do okay, you- so do you know that today, today, do you know that we are now the world's largest exporter of liquefied natural gas, which is the symbol of Chenier Energy, which makes me want to buy, buy, buy it. And buy, I'm going to throw buy. in twofer. I'm throwing in Sempra because I feel like a benevolent fella. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Yes, I was tough on Walmart this morning when I excoriated them for their egregious disappointment. Yes, I'm aware that other retailers may fall prey to the same exact problems. I'm certainly not saying that no one will screw up worse. Last time it was Target. But I am saying that Walmart's different. This is not just another retail. It's a titan with the best technology and the most sensitive finger on the pulse of the consumer. I'm tough on Walmart because they're always talking up their artificial intelligence insights. Don't believe me? Go Google Walmart and AI. I'm tough on them because they've been unparalleled for so long, and they have the ability to get it right, yet they keep getting it wrong. Last time they dropped the ball with hard goods. Now they're dropping the ball with apparel. For most of my career, I've revered Walmart. I went to my first one 42 years ago in eastern Texas, and I fell in love with the place. I championed the stock at Goldman Sachs for years, recommended to every. Everyone, everyone I met. When I came to CNBC two, uh, 22 years ago, I still thought the world of this chain. It was only after a floundering period under then-CEO Lee Scott that I soured on the story. I put him on the wall of shame. But not long, not long after, he came to see me to talk about what he felt I needed to see fixed. I told him how three moments I've been to seem run down without attractive merchandise, with one of them having few redeeming qualities given the strewn nature of so much product. He told me to give him some time and then go back to those stores because their problems were going to get fixed. I went back a year later, and he was dead right. Everything had changed. Scott came down from the wall of shame with the exception of the disclosure issue about raising wages handled clumsily by the current regime. I fell right back in love with the stock. I even bought it for my charitable trust. Not big, but we do own it. In the last six months, though, I've been astonished by how poorly the company's doing. Back in May, Walmart told us it had too much hard goods inventory and that Post-pandemic, the consumer just didn't need as much hardware, so they had to clear the merchandise. The stock got killed. 
but they were fairly optimistic about the rest of the year. Then they dropped that bomb last night, disappointing again. This time, much of it, too much apparel. They misjudged the consumer for two quarters in a row. Great merchants don't do that. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, with all that talk about brilliant artificial intelligence? No, sorry. This is Walmart, not some flotsam and jetsam retailer. Walmart is the Yankees of retail. Of course, every other retailer got punished today because of Walmart. Yet when the smoke clears, I still bet an alpha like Costco will find a way to make the numbers like they did last time. Costco is also a great franchise. And unlike Walmart, they've been living up to their reputation. That's the real crux of the issue. I used to cover sports for a living. When you do that kind of reporting, you get a unique perspective about what to expect from elite franchises like Walmart. Nobody would do anything but nod in agreement if a school like Alabama had a terrible football season and you criticized their coach, would they? Two miserable seasons, and you'd be razzed if you didn't call for the coach's head. In business, though, what do we do? We blame the customers, not the coach. It's ridiculous. Walmart's got it wrong. And then they got it wrong again. The coach messed up. I am not calling for the coach's head, in part because I've mellowed in my old age, but mainly because CEO Doug McMillan has a good long-term tracker and a good guy. That said, this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. And with Walmart, the answer is nothing. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.